In today's show, we're looking at some news from NBA Free Agency, but also looking at players that suffered dramatic rises or dramatic falls in their shooting numbers and what that might mean for the coming season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, is partnering with Arcade 1UP to give away three free NBA Jam Shack machines. That's right, three. These are the guys known for making incredible retro three-quarter scale at-home arcade games like Pac-Man, Golden Tee, and many more. Enter to win on arcade1up.com slash locked on. That's arcade1up.com slash locked on for your chance to win one. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Like I said, um, we're going to cover some free agency stuff. There hasn't really been anything going on, um, like nothing at all, really. Um, and I've got four moves here, and I should have a fifth one in there, which I didn't put on the graphic, but you know what? It's not that important. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> that was important. Um, add Serge Barker on here with a one-year deal back to Milwaukee. These are all really small moves, although a couple of these free agency moves today might have some impact. Let's look at the two Brooklyn ones, TJ Warren and Edmund Sumner. I don't think Sumner's going to have any impact, but he could, maybe in a Bruce Brown role if he's fully healed from his ACL injury. But Tony Warren Jr. is an interesting one. Now, I'm obviously extraordinarily worried about Warren's health. The fact that he's not able to garner a, a multi-year deal, um, even with you know, non-guarantees, anything more than a one-year minimum is pretty rough. The Nets won't have bird rights on him or anything like that. It doesn't give you great confidence for a bloke who's played four games in two years when they had that multiple foot break situation. The other thing with the Nets is, is the reporting seems to be that the Nets are just, they're not maybe going to move Durant and Irving and they go back into the season with KD and with Kyrie and Warren steps in there alongside yeah, Ben Simmons. Maybe he starts, probably not, probably can't handle that, but he's a solid player. I thought if he was healthy, he should be able to get six, $7 million somewhere. Yeah, Joe Ingles got that coming off an ACL injury. Like Warren, I think should have been able to get that number, but apparently not. So is he there to try and push for the playoffs because he knows KD's coming back? I don't really know, but I don't think it's going to be a fantasy option for us. But so much can still happen with Brooklyn, and Warren's a guy that's shown ability in the past. I'm just not confident in him at the moment, and I wouldn't want to risk anything outside of a last-round pick on taking him because of that uh, uncertainty of his health. But it is an interesting landing spot. And then San Antonio, in... The scheme of things, signing Gorgie Jeng to a minimum deal and claiming Isaiah Roby, which ends up being a one-year deal because he's a free agent after this season, probably doesn't mean much. But getting two centers in, what does this mean for the future of Jakob Pertl? I really like Pertl. Talked about him yesterday on my advanced stats show. He's one of the best 
one of the best big men in the NBA, I think, and one of the most underrated big men in the NBA. And has some real fantasy upside, especially if he does move to a different team. Roby, if they decided to, he was going to be their starting center because they move on from Pirtle, he would be a fantasy asset for sure. I'm going to talk about Roby a little bit later on in this show also. Jeng is always a serviceable backup. He's lost a bit from his you know, peak in his career, but he's a serviceable backup. And if the Spurs are looking to tank and to develop, having Roby and Jeng as your one-two at the center spot around a bunch of those guards that you've got there um, is a good way to develop. Jeng is a good veteran. Roby is a little bit of an upside player, um, but also a good way to lose games. So... The Warren one, we really do watch. And does the Roby claim mean there's something happening with Jakob Pertl? And can Roby have a big role? I think it's possible for Roby here. I'm not, not guaranteeing it, of course. But I do think there's a pretty decent possibility that Isaiah Roby can have some value for this coming season. But there is still a lot of that water to go under the bridge. Now, what I am going to talk about today is players and their shooting, because I talk about this a lot. You've heard me talk about it a lot, and especially categories like three-point percentage, but two-point percentage, field goal percentage, free throw percentage. Um, they're massive influences in fantasy basketball, and they go under the radar. Even in points leagues, where you don't actually track these numbers, they have a big impact. Because... Free throw, let's start with, we'll start with free throw percentage because we're going to talk about first. You get a huge rise in your free throw percentage. It influences your free throw percentage category, obviously. But it also improves your scoring. If you go from a 60% shooter, so you hit six out of every 10 of your shots from the line, to an 80% shooter, it's a big jump, but people do it. That is not only a gigantic, gigantic leap in the free throw percentage value, but you're scoring two extra points per game or per two, per two games. You have 10 attempts per game is not likely, all right? But it's extra points. And while that might not be much, going from 14 points a game to 15 points per game with a big jump in free throw percentage is a, is a big deal. Three-point percentage influences three categories. Points, every time you hit a three, you get three points. You also get a three-pointer made, and it improves your field goal percentage. You go from a 28% three-point shooter to a 40% three-point shooter. Your field goal percentage rises. Your scoring rises, usually, and your three-pointers made rises, usually. Unless there's a weird situation where you're shooting better, but taking way fewer attempts. And two-point percentage, similarly. It melds into field goal percentage. I didn't include in this show guys who took big rises in field goal percentage, because that that isn't always the best way to look at it. It's, it's a category probably shouldn't be, but it's a category that it makes up with two-point percentage and three-point percentage. So someone might have a big jump in their field goal percentage based on a big jump in twos, but they dropped off in threes. And trying to break those two things down is another sort of hidden secret in looking at value in fantasy. But your two-point percentage, if that goes up, your scoring goes up, and your overall field goal percentage goes up. So these are hidden influences. They're multi-category influences. And in some cases, it's a triple category influencer in three-point percentage. And if your league counts three-point percentage, whew, that's a four-category influencer. If you have field goals, three-point percentage, three-pointers made, and points, three-point percentage is the most, almost the most important category in your entire league. It probably is. It influences four categories. And big swings can happen. And it can make players look worse than they are or significantly better than they are. So, 
That's a lot of talk about the preamble. And we'll get into talking about these guys in just a second. But before I do that, it's time for me to drop a boom shakalaka right on your head. It is NBA Jam time. You know NBA Jam. And if you don't, I actually feel sorry for you. You need to go and play it ASAP. NBA Jam was a revolutionary arcade game. Came to consoles as well. No fouls, no free throws, no timeouts. Just flaming balls of fire and insane blocks and death-defying, gravity-defying feats of athleticism. One of the first games to have the digitized NBA team license as well. And now you can bring it into your home and it is back in arcade form with the Shaq Edition machine. Unbelievable. Like I, I, I want them to send me one. If they could send me one, Arcade One Up, let's go. Because I love NBA Jam. So go to arcade1up.com. That's arcade the number one dot com. Sorry, arcade the number one up.com. And you can get an estimated early September ship date to pre-order the NBA Jam machine. They've also got other ones like Golden Tee, Mortal Kombat, and they start at just 399 bucks. We're also giving away a free NBA three of them, in fact. NBA Jam Shack Edition machine to a locked on listener. You can enter now at arcade1up.com slash locked on. That's arcade the number one up. Dot com slash locked on for your chance to enter. You've got until July the 8th, a couple of days to go. Don't miss out. Enter today. Who are you going to play with? All right. Let's start with free throw percentage rises. What I did is looked at the 2021-2022 season compared to 2020 and 2021. And I looked at the biggest changes for guys that played at least 18 minutes a night and players who played in at least 42 games to try and give us a bit of better sample size. I also tried to remove guys who aren't on rosters now, because no point having them in there, and players who, say, barely played in 2020 or 2021 as well. So I went from a, a really small baseline to a big jump. And there's some wild changes here. Matisse Thibel was a 44% free throw shooter in 2021. And in 2022, he went to a 79% shooter. He had this sort of swing in college as well. I do not trust it at all. But going from 44, look, it's on absolutely minuscule attempts, but it's a big rise. So just be aware of that. Grant Williams, I think he can be a good shooter, but he went from almost 59% from the line to over 90. That is an almost, that is an unheard of percentage change. So I would expect, and I, you know I say this all the time and I preach it, he might remain a good free throw shooter. But good might mean 82%, not 90. And that impacts some of his potential value. Be aware. Jaden McDaniels. This was interesting. Second year, and now he's going to have this big, big opportunity this season. He went from 60% to over 80%, 80.3 from the free throw line. Heavy punt guy to a solid free throw shooter. But now he is most likely going to start at the three next to Edwards, Russell, Townsend, Gobert. And he's going to have, look, no usage, but he's going to have pretty good minutes. But it could be the situation where he's 10 and 5 with 1.4 steals and, and 0.7 blocks or something is useful for you if he shoots 80. But if he regresses and shoots 70, the negative of the free throws doesn't actually, it, it might make him hard to use or hard to consider. So while we can look at what he did last year and go, well, he's not going to hurt your free throws. He's going to help these other areas. Maybe. That's a 20 percentage point jump. I don't know how realistic that is to expect to hold. It may, it may not. Trey Lyles went from um, 65 to 80. Big jump from him. Trey Lyles played way too much in Detroit. He is still in Sacramento. I hope he doesn't play too much because they should play Barnes and Murray, but maybe Barnes is on the move. But Lyles pushed his way into some relevancy at times last season. 
through to poor roster construction in Detroit or poor coaching, and then also poor coaching in Sacramento. Does Sacramento still have poor coaching? I don't know. They've got a new coach. Do they have poor management? Probably. We'll see where Lyles fits, but he did take a big step forward there. Alex Caruso. He was a really good fantasy guy last season, but is this real? He went from 65% from the line for the Lakers up to 80% for the Bulls. If Caruso in his 26 minutes or so is being a sub-66% free throw shooter, it's really hard to roster him because there's a significant negative along with his negative in low points and low volume in other areas. If he's able to maintain that positivity, then that's good. DiVincenzo, he went from 72 to 84. He's an interesting one because his free throw percentage went way up. His other numbers, eh, they dropped off. But he's got this big opportunity with Golden State. He was a guy that was a good shooter in college, never the best free throw shooter, but had lots of injury concerns in the NBA. So he's one to watch. And then the Martin boys. Interestingly, they're both on this list. Caleb went from 64 to 76, and Cody went from 58 to 70. 70 is still a negative number. Caleb at 76 is still, it's marginally negative. But they're both, especially Cody, I think is going to have a big opportunity this season. Caleb, maybe less so, but you know, on the days where Jimmy Butler rests, he will push into that lineup. But we have to look at them and go, did they both, or are they now really considered strong free throw shooters or, or close to average? Because if they're not, and Cody Martin plays 28 minutes a night and he goes back to sub 60, or even 62, yeah, it really hurts you. So again, they're just numbers to look at. When we look at this year, we go, well, they're you know, great free throw shooters now that maybe they turn back into not so good ones. On the other side of the ledger are players who drop their free throw percentage considerably. So when you look at them, you go, well, you have this guy, you have to punt. Maybe not. Mason Plumley, yes, you do. He went from 67%, okay, to an unfathomably bad 39%. I don't know whether Plummo is going to continue to start or not in Charlotte. I, I, I don't know. They do have Mark Williams there. There is PJ Washington. I don't know, but we're punting with Mason anyway. Muxy Kleber is an intriguing one. He was at 92% the previous season and dropped down to 71. That's an elite level to a punt level. A guy that we've seen be a good blocks and threes guy and have value in fantasy at times. Might be a little bit harder with JaVale McGee there now, but there's, of course, no Christos Porzingis. So just watch that. There's the big variance in Kleber's numbers. And the same with Nick Batum. You could have entered last season drafting Nick Batum and going, well, 83% from the line, that's great. Then he shot 66. And that eliminates so much of his value. I liken Batum to get back to high 70s at least, but that's a big drop. Kyle Anderson went from 78 to 64. Draymond Green similarly went from 80 to 66. All right, so while both of those guys I don't consider great shooters, they have had some good shooting seasons, especially from the line there in 2021. So, you know, we can't put our faith in that. Chetty Osmond, similarly, the discipline goes from 80 to 66. This is an interesting one, probably the most interesting one on this list, and that is Christian James McCollum. In 2021, he shot 81.2 from the line. Last season, from between Portland and New Orleans, 68%. And on his volume, that's that's punting. That's a really bad number yeah, for a top, whatever number, 55-ranked guard. He was the 55th-ranked guard last season on 68%. Now, the volume is not gigantic, so it's not putting you in negative three Z-score territory, but it's still negative one. 
and 68% is rough. And he's had some really weird years with his free throws. They go all over the place. So when drafting him, I think you've got to look almost at worst case scenario. You don't look at him as an 80, 80% guy. Consider him like a 72, a 73. If he surprises you, great. But don't go, well, CJ is a great shooter. He's going to figure it out. He's been all over the shop with free throw percentage throughout his career. He's had, you know, sometimes he's 74. He obviously, well, sometimes he's at under 70. Sometimes he's at over 80. It's been all over the place for him throughout a lot of his career. So it's not an automatic, well, it's just a down year. He's going to bounce back. Like 68 is fine. 81 is good. 76 the year before that, below average. It's not bad, but it's below average. 82 the year before that. In, in general, maybe you can rely upon him. To be a to be a solid shooter, I, I just I'm just going back to some other years of his. I'm just not a hundred percent convinced that we rely upon him to be an excellent um, free throw shooter. His first couple of years in the league under seventy. Then he had a year when he was at ninety one. Then he had a, a a couple at seventy six. Like it's a, it's a little bit weird his numbers. I expect it to be better than it was. Maybe it pushes to seventy five, but I don't know that I would necessarily want to trust it. Hull Neto also went from 88 to 77. And 77 is fine, but 88 is excellent. And that takes away so much when you come from that tape. Maybe that was his best category, moving down to just being completely average in that area. Let's look at um, some two-point shooters and the guys who really took steps forward there. Maxi Kleber went from 46 to 59. I think he will get more center minutes this season. So he should be able to keep that two-point percentage number up. The really interesting one on this list, well, there's two, three really interesting ones on this list to me. Paul Washington Jr. Jr. Um, PJ went from 48% as a second-year player to 60 as a third-year player. His percentages have wildly fluctuated through seasons and within seasons. But with Miles Bridges, I would expect almost definitely not playing this season. With you know, Plumlee and, and Williams as your center rotation... PJ is going to have to get a much larger load and I think play more center. Hopefully they just get Plumlee out of there, but I don't think they will. But the 60%, he did play a lot of center last year, but towards the end, he played almost exclusively power forward. We started a power forward anyway. Um, that's It's a really good trend, but we can look at his numbers and then go, well, okay, he did this and his field goal was this number. 60 is a big number. And if that pushes to 55 or 56... It hurts his overall production. Wes Matthews went from 42 to 54. He's back in Milwaukee, but he's not impacting fantasy. And one of the interesting numbers here is the big fella, Mitch Robinson. And Mitch Robinson says, I'll take it from here. He was unbelievable at 65% and then went up to 76. Now, projecting anybody to be a 70-plus field goal guy is fraught with danger. It's fraught with danger. And... I don't think you should do it. That is such a big number that if we look at what Robinson did on his minuscule usage and go, well, look how massive he is in field goals. If that 76 goes to 65 again, still a great number, still one of the best numbers in the NBA. But if it goes down to 670 or 66 or 68 or you know, hopefully 69, Giggity. then the impact is lessened. And of course, field goal percentage, two-point percentage, it's a multi-cat modifier. It might take him from 11 points. What did he actually average last season before I start talking garbage to you guys? Um, he averaged 8.5 points, right? Maybe that goes to 7.5 points. 
It's possible. Um, Brandon Clark. Struggled his second year with injuries. We talked about that yesterday. And bumped that efficiency way up from 56.6 to 66.6. He is in prime position for a massive season with Jaron Jackson out. 66 is a high number. And playing more minutes, playing against starting caliber defenses more, you don't expect that to rise. So I don't think there's too much of a risk at this point of Brandon Clark being overdrafted, especially when we hit early September for early drafts. He will be positioned, I think, with an ADP really, or ranking really low. And then he'll become the flavor of the month and everyone will push him up. He might start at 200. I'm guessing completely. He might start at 200. And then he'll be updated into 120. Then he'll be updated into 90. Then he'll be updated into 50. And then it'll be, hey, maybe we calm down a bit. That's what we've got to watch. Or someone like ESPN will pre-rank him at the start of the year at 24. And you go, what are you guys doing? Like, that's the sort of weird stuff that will happen. Um, but just watch that. Chetty Osman, we mentioned already, 50 or in the free throws. He went from 46 to 56 in two-pointers. Malik Monk went from 47 to 57 from his two-point percentage. How much of that is a factor of playing alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron James? Well, sorry, LeBron James. We, we didn't play much with Anthony Davis. Um, I don't know. But now we look at him and, and we I guess we sort of, I don't know if we pencil him in. Is he a starter in Sacramento? Or is it Dante, Div- oh, no, not Dante DiVincenzo, sorry. Is it Davion Mitchell? Is it Fanta Pants Kevin Herter? And if Monk is starting, can we just transcribe his numbers across from the Lakers? I don't think so. I don't think so. So watch that one. Well, Pokashevsky went from a horrific 40% to 50%. Now, I don't think we will get Poku starting next to Chet. I think Poku's minutes will be pretty restricted, and I don't think he'll be worth drafting. But that's a big step forward in year two, and it's a good indicator to see that he's taking steps forward. So maybe in year three, and which is a time when plenty of players take big steps forward, maybe we get a little bit more out of Alexei Pokashevsky. You don't need to get any more out of betonline.net because it's already given you everything you want. It's your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. BetOnline is your continued source for sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And you can find all the latest sports developments, including Major League Baseball. They're sure they've got Summer League games on there as well. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. In fact, I'm going to have a look. Do they have a Summer League game on there? They do. The Utah Jazz are four and a half point underdogs against the Oklahoma City Thunder. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, let's look at two-point fallers. Some interesting numbers on this one. Um, Doug McDermott went from 64 to 51. I don't think he's going to have a large role in San Antonio, given where they are. But yeah, watch. I, th- I think he's a better than 51% shooter, so that should jump up. Taj Gibson went from 67 to 56. Big fall off there. Somehow he's still in New York. The one that's really, I think, worth mentioning is DeAndre Hunter, who remember at the start of 2020-2021, he had that like five or 10 game or whatever it was, where he went bananas. His usage was way up and he was shooting out of his brain and he was like a top 30 fantasy player. He shot 58% from two that season. This season, 47. Now, both seasons impacted by injury, but his shooting percentage from his rookie season to his second season took a massive step forward. And then it regressed back down. And that gives further weight to my argument that maybe what he did at the start of that year too was a fluke. I don't buy into him at all as his high-level player or a good fantasy option personally. But I also do think he's a little bit better than what we saw last season. 
So maybe there's a bit of bounce back there. DiVincenzo went from 48 to 37. So while the free throws improved, he could not hit two pointers. Now getting to Golden State, cutting and working off of Steph and Clay's gravity or Poole's gravity and Draymond's passing, I expect that number to skyrocket. And if he hit 50% from two this season, don't be shocked. He has got a very low base to come from. So his numbers are going to look really, really deflated last season. But that could be a, honestly, it could be a 15 percentage point jump for, for DiVincenzo, the big ragu. O'Shea Brissett, who many people loved in 2021, he shot 55% from two. He had an expanded role last season, shot 47%. I do not think he is very good. And I will continue to say that. I think that he is an absolute tank commander and you get some numbers out of him when everyone else gets hurt. But they've still got Isaiah Jackson. They've still got Miles Turner. They've still got Goga Badadze. I don't think they brought back Jalen Smith. I don't think that Brissett is a guy to rely upon. And he fell way back to earth, which was more reminiscent of his numbers that he put up in Toronto. Achua went from 55% in Miami, yes, on minimal attempts, to 47%. But I think there is plenty of scope here for Precious, who did improve as the season went on. Honestly, the worst player in the NBA to watch for the first two to three months of the year. Just horrific, horrific decision-making and shot attempts. They were unbelievable. That was so bad. But he improved, and that's great. But they still have a million centers. Achua, Boucher, Young, Birch. Siakam playing at center, and Anobi playing at center, plus pick 33, Christian Coloco. So while I do expect Achua's field goal percentage to rise back up, I'm not sure that there's gigantic, gigantic minutes there for him. This is the one that's interesting. Well, they're all pretty interesting, but Jimmy Harden, 55 to 47.6. Now we saw the impact of Harden on the early season, like I say, lack of enforcement, but Crackdown on drawing shooting fouls, it hurt him a lot because he'd go in and do his usual thing of try and draw fouls and they wouldn't get called and he'd just be chucking the ball up and missing a lot. And then towards the end of the season, the hamstring, all that stuff looked rough. So while we can say, has James Harden lost a step? The answer is probably yes. Has James Harden dropped off? Probably yes. But 48% from two, just get back to 51 or 52. I don't think that's impossible. And I think there are... Answer this question honestly to yourself. All right. Will you like will you take James Harden in the first round? And I I can't measure this, but I reckon 50% of you will say no. There's no way I'm touching James Harden. There is a legitimate chance that James Harden is a top five fantasy player again this season. Get 47 back up to 53. 52. Right, get it up there. Average, maybe he averages 18, 6, and 9. 18, 6, and 10, 1.7 steals, and gets the field goals back up. I'd watch for a bit of a bounce back for him. Pat Mills, 50 to 43%. He, w- he was terrible towards the end of the season. They brought him back in Brooklyn. I don't really know where he fits with Simmons and maybe Kyrie and Seth Curry. He's not going to be a draftable player, pretty obviously. Three-point percentage shooters. DeAndre Ayton, it is low volume, very low volume, but he went from 20% to 37%. I don't know where he's going to play, but I have called and called and called it for four years. Can you just try to take a three-pointer? I think you can do it. And last season, he actually showed that maybe he can. He doesn't take any of them. And if I uh, have a look at the volume, I think it's pretty embarrassing. What did he shoot? Um, three-pointers attempted per game. Yeah, uh, 0.3 per game. Right, that, that's, that's embarrassing. It's so bad. But he hit him at a better rate. He needs to shoot more. 
Caleb Martin went from 25 to 41. 25 is horrendous. 41 is great. But there is drop-off potential there. Like I talked about with him and his brother and free-throw shooting, and his brother's on this list too. Cody went from 28 to 30. How is it possible that both of them put in the, they put the same amount of work in to improve the same amount in their percentages? What a weird thing. Um, there's regression potential there for him. Isaiah Roby, we talked about earlier, went from 29 to 44. He, uh, he's not a 44% shooter, but 36, sure. So while we can look at his numbers and extrapolate them all out from last season, going to San Antonio, that'll fall. Maxi, big Tyrese, Tangles, he went from 30 to 43%. I, a guy that started out the season unbelievably red hot and was shooting like 46, 47% from three at one stage, it started to cool off. Can he consistently be a 40% guy? Maybe. But before we count on that, before we count on that, let's realize that we've had one year of him being an absolute elite shooter. And if he comes in at 39%, it's still really good, but it actually does hurt. A three percentage point drop from there still hurts. Be aware of that. Rui Hachimura went from 33 to 45%. I don't buy Hachimura as a player, as you're well, all well aware. He did that on better volume than he has in the past because previously he'd been a pretty poor three-point volume guy, but still only three attempts per game. But hitting 44% is, in, is really encouraging. Of course, he ranked 252nd in fantasy and had that completely um, messed up preseason and start of the regular season. But I wouldn't be looking at Hachimura as a 44% guy. The Shark, Bruce Brown. Baby shark, he went from 29 to 40 in Denver, he's going to get a lot of open shots, obviously. Um, he's had some good three-point sh- shooting seasons in the past. How they use him is going to be key, but I expect that to drop. Dwight Powell went from 24 to 35, and Cody Martin went from 28 to 38, which we talked about. There's some potential risk of that dropping off. Guys who dropped their three-point percentage, Yusuf Nurkic went from 40 to 27. His three-point shooting, as well as his block numbers, evaporated. They were just gone. Can they come back? That, along with the fact that they, he doesn't, he's not a big usage guy, but there are two absolute red flag, red flashing sirens when you look at Nurkic's numbers from last year and go, huh, why are the blocks so unbelievably low? And why is the three-point shot? You don't expect him to be good, but hit 33% of him, 34% of him. Get your blocks from 0.7, an embarrassing number, to 1.4, and you're talking a 45-spot jump probably. Made that number off the top of my head, but it's jumping a lot. Right, be aware of that. Shea Gildas-Alexander, we always had doubts that the 42% shooting from three was real, and it dropped way back to 30. I don't think 30 is real either. I view him more as a 34 to 36 guy, a league average shooter, versus an above average one that he was the year before, or a well below one that he was this season. So I expect some middling out there. Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris, they shot 43 and 47 in 2021. Unbelievable numbers, which were never going to stick. Now, Morris... Went down to 37%. Still completely solid. Really good. But as we will always say, or I will always say, and hopefully you will always uh, subscribe to this idea, that if you are shooting at 47%, you can still be really good and suffer a significant drop. And that happened to him. And when your value comes from that elite shooting numbers, bye-bye when it goes away. Hey, shout out to Duncan Robinson. I wonder how he's going at the moment. That's what happens. Marvin Bagley. Went from 34 to 24%. I can see why they would sign him to a three-year, fully guaranteed $37 million deal when he shot 24% from three. Um, 
yeah, when, when all you have on your team are centers and guys that can't shoot, you probably do want to lock yourself into another center and another player who can't shoot. It's always a great idea. Bagley, I would, I don't, in a points league, maybe you could touch him in a draft. If they are planning on starting him, Jesus, help me, but they might, and there might be value there, but the shooting dropped way off. Joe Ingles, 45 down to 35. And this is before he tore his ACL. He was falling away pretty significantly before that injury. I think he can maybe be a bit better than that, but I wouldn't count on it. Julius Randle went from 41 to 31. Now, why we can say, okay, well, Julius Randle was a second team All-NBA, not deserved in my opinion. Um, and look, he'll just have a bounce back because he shot 41% from three. The 41% from three for me is the absolute outlier. Every other one of his, I think from the year before that, he was at 27. Right? So he basically is a really bad three-point shooter who had one extraordinarily hot season. Can he get better than 31? It's, yeah, it's possible. 41 again, I would say absolutely not. And campaign went from unbelievably very good uh, backup point guard. I was going to say quarterback. I don't know why. Backup point guard into one that really struggled to shoot. And Payne, I think, could be a little bit of a better shooter than 34% from three. But the 44 was always going to be hard to stick. The last thing I want to talk about here is looking exclusively at top 100 players. All right, so we've looked at big changes in two-pointers and free throws and three-pointers. Now, the number that encapsulates all of that true shooting percentage. If you don't know what true shooting percentage is, basically what it is, is it's every shot attempt weighted. Two-point shots, three-point shots, free throws put into one number. League average is about 57% on that number. Now, most leagues, vast majority of leagues, don't have true shooting percentage as a category. We should probably look to do that or have effective field goal percentage instead of regular field goal percentage. I think it's probably the way that fantasy should go, although fantasy leagues and sites are extraordinarily stubborn and they probably won't do it. But it's a good idea just to have a look at guys in the top 100 who suffered big jumps in their efficiency or big drops and what that might mean. So these are only top 100 players from last season. Tyrese Maxey, as a second-year guy, went from 53 to 59. We talked about his free throw percentage already. Uh, sorry, his three-point percentage already. He took a big step forward. 59 is a really high number for a high-usage guard. If that drops off, don't be too surprised. Draymond Green went from 53 to 58. Well, his numbers are all over the shop. I don't really know yeah, how to predict that on a year-by-year basis, but you're not drafting Draymond Green for percentages or for scoring, pretty obviously. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. He went from 68 to 73 true shooting. Much like when talking about Mitch Robinson. Yeah, when you're at such an elite level at 68 and then somehow you step it up again, like Gobert did to 73, even if it falls back to being a lead at 66 or 67, it's a big drop. So watch his numbers. Obviously, a year older and a new team now. Watch that. Josh the Hitman Hart went from 57 to 61. He shot out of his brain. And he's going to have a role, whether it's as a starter or as a reserve, I don't know. But 61 true shooting is a highly efficient player, and I'm not sure I buy Josh Hart as that guy. So watch for regression. Morant went from 54 to 58. He also started the season at about 60-61, I think, and that dropped back off as the season went on. So... If I had to bet, will Ja Morant be above 57 or you know, below league average 56? I would expect 56-ish. I don't know whether he can maintain absolute top-level elite efficiency over the course of a season. And we saw it drop way back from an astounding number to league average as the season went on. Jared Allen went from 66 to 70. Same as the Gobert stuff. And same as um, 
uh, the guy that's just completely blank, Mitchell Robinson. Be aware that that might drop three or four percentage points here, impacting some of his value. Goose. Anthony Edwards. Went from 52 to 56 as a second-year player. We expect second-year players to improve. We expect them to improve further as third-year guys. So while Maxi, I'm not sure he will because he went to 59, Edwards could easily hit 59 or 60 this season. I think he's going to be a huge... I think he's a top 20 upside guy this year. And Wendell Carter Jr. went from 57 to 60. That's not a gigantic leap. And I think with the way that Wendell played, I'm not against him staying at that level. He was in a much better system for him. The next list is full of guys who could be massive bounce-back guys, or it's going to be a list of guys that you sit there and go, absolutely no way I'm never drafting that guy again. All right? You'll see. And we get to these guys, and I'll give you explanations as to why maybe you should soften your stance. This is the last list we're doing today. Top 100 players who saw their biggest drops in true shooting percentage. Damian Lillard. He went from 62 true shooting to an embarrassingly bad 55% true shooting. Why? Well, his abs were wrecked, weren't they? So there are plenty of people who love being reactionary, never drafting Dame again. Dame in the first round, what a joke, no chance. So Lillard suffered a gigantic drop-off. Would I take Dame and Lillard in the first round? Well, I don't know yet because I haven't done the projections, but almost definitely yes. While he might not be 62 he can be 60% true shooting. And that big step up gives that all that value back. Shea Gildas-Alexander went from 62 to 56% true shooting. That one, I'm not sure going back to 62 is realistic. But 58, 59, depends on the improvement from Giddy. Depends on what you get from Chet. Depends on the general improvement of that squad. But I think it can step up. Paul George went from 60 to 54 Killed you with field goal percentage. I expect a huge rise in efficiency for Paul George this season. So I think he's going to be probably underdrafted again. Julius Randle went from 57 to 51. Despite his great season, he was still only league average in that All-NBA year, but then dropped way off to be just a horrendous 51% true shooting. That I do expect to improve, but I don't consider him hyper-efficient. But I do expect that to jump up maybe to 55. The Jedi, OG Ananobi. But what about Scarf? OG. Stop, OG. Uh, you better stop, OG. He went from 61 to 55%. We were hoping that an increased usage with a little bit of efficiency drop baked in would lead him to a big year. But unfortunately, efficiency dropped way off. Now, there's still rumors of him being traded, but he has had efficient seasons in the past. So that 55 could easily become 58, and his value rises back up. Brad Beal, another one. Never drafting again. True shooting from 59 to under 54. And Beal, while he sucked even before his injury, was he carrying the injury beforehand? Probably. And that wrist issue probably impacted that shooting. And now the team probably is a little bit better. Monty Morris is there. Farton Will Barton's there. It's probably a little bit better. Porzingis is there full season. I'd expect Beal's efficiency to rise and him push back into at least mid to late second round versus where he was. Maybe even higher than that. Bogdan Bogdanovich, we knew that what Bogdanovich did in 2021 was probably um, unrealistic. The shooting from three especially was so high. He went from 62, true shooting, down to 56. And he enters this season with a knee injury. I think 56 to 58 is probably a more realistic area for Bogdanovich. So don't look at 2020, 2021 and go, well, that's what he's going to do. I I wouldn't expect that. And Steph Curry, he went from the number two fantasy guy to like number seven. 
because his true shooting dropped from 66 down to 60. He did have that a toe injury at some time during the season, but there's also the potential that Steph Curry is just not a 66% true shooting guy anymore. Given his age, the wear and tear on his body, um, I would think that... Okay, I would think there is a higher chance, maybe I sound stupid, there's a higher chance that Steph Curry's true shooting goes below 60 than it is that it hits back to 65.5. The most likely scenario is he sits around 61, but I think there's a higher chance of it going under 60 than it is going over 65.5. And that takes him out of that top three, top four fantasy discussion. Guys, that is the end of today's show. Hope you guys enjoyed that and you can understand the rationale behind looking at these things. Big jumps and big drops are often not things that happen linearly or they don't necessarily become permanent. They can, but they don't always. So be aware of that when evaluating players and don't blindly look at what were they ranked the year before or what did they shoot the year before that because that does not always mean what's going to happen in the future. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, you know what to do. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.